Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for tuning back into the podcast. I know these are uh, been few and far between here lately, but I, I do intend to keep it going. So thanks, thanks for coming back, listening again. Uh, they just they will probably continue to be few and far between. Uh, or I might get to some point in time where maybe I have uh, a string of time I can I can put out a like a series of them or something, uh, batch them out there. Anyways, in the meantime, if you remember back at the 906 Polar Roll uh, race recap I did, I had Todd Poquette on, the race director, and we talked about him coming back on to talk about doing the hard things, uh, which is what we did talk about. We talked about all the awesome stuff that the the 906 adventure team is doing um mostly we then that's what we talked about and it, it kind of dove into just a lot of uh life in general type stuff so it was really good and i think i think uh i mean you listen all the way through you'll you'll understand why why it uh the episode ended up getting called doing the right things so we covered a lot of ground Todd also shared uh, a personal story that doesn't sound like he's he's shared with a whole lot of people. Uh, so difficult decisions and whatnot, but um, it's it's really awesome what they're doing up there with the the nine zero six adventure team. Uh, you know, just the family involvement, all the kids that got involved, riding bikes, getting getting people outside, and I'm I'm behind anything that gets people off the couch and outside, uh, keeping up their fitness, challenging themselves, and uh, doing things today that you could not do yesterday. So, uh, and we keep, keep moving forward with that, but, uh, thanks. Thanks a ton for coming on the podcast. Uh, again, Todd enjoyed everything you shared, uh, and, uh, good stuff. So listen all the way through one thing, you know, when you're all done or while you're listening to this, go to 906 adventureteamcom backslash donate. Um, you know, it's cool stuff what they have going on up there. And, uh, you know, if you go up there, you enjoy the races, you'll, you know, that the races are not very expensive either. Uh, so it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, a lot of good stuff. I think they're doing a lot and uh, there's a way now that you can help fund what the 906 adventure team is doing. So enjoy the show. All right. Thanks for joining me again for another episode of the endurance path podcast with, guest Todd Paquette for a second round. Todd was on here previously. We talked about the 906 Polar Roll. Um, but now we're going to talk about doing the hard things and the 906 Adventure Team. So uh, thanks for coming on coming on to do this, Todd. Appreciate it. And uh, I look, this is going to be a, a good discussion. I know it. So I've been jacked up all morning, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to be able to have this talk and to be able to verbally you know, cast light on what we're trying to do. Good stuff. Um, so a quick, quick background about Todd for those that maybe are coming across this for the first time or, or maybe wanting to know a little bit more about Todd. Cause what you might see Todd's personality come through a lot of the promotion of say Margie Gessick race or the polar roll or, or whatnot, but you might not know everything that Todd has going on or, or how he got into this. Um, but Todd, you, you founded the 906 Adventure Team, right? That's correct. Uh, you uh, direct the Margie Gessick 100? Yes, sir. Uh, the Polar Roll? Also correct. And let's see, you've got a new race going on, the Hammer, right? Yeah, yeah that's, uh, 
That's a new one. So what was first, how did this all get started? Did 906 start first or one of the races that led into 906 Adventure Team? What Walk us through that. Timeline-wise, the Adventure Team began at the end of 2013, like around December of 13, and then rolled into 2014. And we ran basically just as, actually initially as a race, youth race development team from 14 to the end of 14. And 15, uh, based on what I learned during the first 10 months, we shifted our attention away from youth racing and more toward uh, all-encompassing and involving all kids, trying to find a way to create a path for race-minded and adventure-minded kids. Uh, and then in 15 also, that's when the event started, Polar Roll first, then Margie Gessick. Okay. Okay. So it, it yeah, so. started as racing and then you took it away from racing. What, what did, why exactly? Yeah. Why exactly? Well, you know, it, it started as racing because my initial involvement in cycling began with racing. Okay. And at the time that we started the adventure team, my thought was there was a, uh, a, a gap in our community and probably in a lot of communities for um, non-elite level youth and adults such as myself to have a team where they can participate slash compete and, and get some level of training. You know, that's, my introduction to racing, that's what I saw was missing. Okay. So seeing that something is missing that I felt would be valuable to people, I thought, how can we help fill that gap? And that's where we started and spent 10 months to learn some very interesting lessons and then evolved forward from there to where we are today. What, what were some of those lessons? And then is, are those what led you into the kind of the transformation probably, obviously? Yeah, you know, in that first year, I mean, what 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 I found or felt I was seeing is that, and I've seen this also with our events. Basically, I've spent like four years, I think, developing a proof of concept. Um, what what I have found, and what I was beginning to see in fourteen to fifteen, is that the the people who are truly committed to competitive racing who really truly are in it for the competition aspect of, you know, mono, uh, mono beating somebody else or, you know, female versus another female and them competing head to head. I think at best, both adult and youth that competitively driven, I want to dominate my opponent is maybe 15 to 20% of people. Yeah, I think the that. greater, yeah, it, right, if that. And I, I think I'm being, um, I think we're giving it actually probably a, a larger number that, than it is. I think the other, let's just say it's 20% on, on that end of, of the competition. I think the other 80% of us are in this, uh, in these experiences for a whole lot of other reasons. All of them to us as important to us individually as competition is to those who compete. Yeah. So, I mean, if I'm going to go out and do something or if anybody's going to go out and do something, I think that you, you know, you want to 
open yourself up to have the largest available impact on, on your community. And it was just very clear by the end of 14 that you, you have much more to gain and much more people to reach and help by um, moving it away from just focusing on racing. I mean, truth is for the people who really want to race and compete and win, they're probably going to go hire trainers and, and different things to, you know, they're going to pay people. Yeah. That's, that's not our role. I think you know, the other thing I'd add. Yeah. Go ahead. No, well, go ahead. I, I think part of that other 80%, right. Is, is the, uh, there's, there's a rush people get out of a sense of accomplishment of something they haven't done in the past. And then I think human beings, we, we thrive at learning new things, um, and accomplishing new things and, and testing ourselves, whether, whether somebody's actually realized that about themselves or not. But the, mm-hmm. the first time that they do go out and challenge themselves and do something new, I feel that's when they get hooked. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, yeah. You know, one, one additional thought to the piece on competitive cycling and, and all that stuff is we dealt more with, we, we interacted with, say, sponsors yeah. at a level um, consistent with the type of interaction you would typically have with sponsors in a competitive cycling environment. So, you know, we'd get sponsors, we'd put their, their logos on our Jersey, right? That was, that was in the first year. Well, that's another lesson learned in that as you put these uh, logos on the Jersey, you're actually creating points of polarity where you're, you're disrupting your ability to bring people together because you're creating barriers. Like, Hey, I don't go to that bike shop. I'm not going to wear that, that Jersey. Um, you know, it's the, the the psyche that people have is interesting. So if you look at the adventure team Jersey today, um, I think we had the Rambo, the Rambo logo on our shoulder. And we had that on there because before we became a 501c3 officially this year, we were a committee underneath their nonprofit umbrella. Okay. So, so we were trying to promote obviously the organization that was basically our mothership. And uh, I think the other one, the only other stuff on the Jersey was Marquette County, Michigan, because I've always viewed this mountain bike Mecca as a county initiative, not just Marquette and not just Ishpeming. Yeah, I, I think or I've, I've picked up on that too, just in my following along. Yeah, yeah, and I think even in and then the the other course I've I've mentioned that. Yeah, the other the other uh, logo or entity on the jersey has been upmountainbike.com, and you know that's put on by Bob Hendrickson, and we were just trying to promote that website as a way to find out more about mountain biking in the UP in general. Okay. So aside from that, we have a ton of people that support us. Uh, we wouldn't be here without that support, but the jerseys are not scattered with logos because that is not, I think it distracts from what is most important. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So <clears throat> what, what is the, I mean, fast forward now, then, then what has that focus specifically dialed into now 
I mean, I think I read somewhere on your doing the hard things blog that there's like, uh, 125 kids now involved and like 19 coaches or something. Yeah, we probably have, I mean, if we just talk numbers right now for a moment, I can, in our Bothwell middle school, um, after school club, we have 40 kids. And then at the market senior high school, we have, I'm going to say approximately 15 kids, you know, signed up, you know, they don't all show up for every single ride because people have stuff going on. But these, so these are the, like the registration numbers, um, Ishpeming high school for the first time this year has a club. And I think that the sign up was around seven to 10. So that's like 25. So that's 65 kids right now that we're doing three days a week or one, one day for each of them turns out to be three days a week for us. Okay. And then Delta County, we expanded into Delta County, which is about an hour away from where I live. And we're doing an adventure bike club down there that has 41 kids in it right now. Wow. Our adventure bike club that starts in June up here has 86 kids in it. And the NICA team, which will start around the same time, has close to 20. So there's 105 kids. Um, And then coach-wise, I want to say Delta County has approximately 20 coaches. They're all new coaches down there this year, first-time coaches. Where's Delta County? And then in Marquette. It's an hour south of Marquette. Okay. The the, uh... the, the interesting – the interesting side note on it is uh, I actually grew up in Delta County. Is I grew up Escanaba down in Gladstone. Area? Were, yeah, Escanaba area. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So I grew up down there. That's not why we went there first, but it is a nice little, you know, sub story to the whole thing that it's kind of cool to be able to put something down there that didn't exist into the, the area that you grew up. Oh yeah. Um, so they have approximately 20 down there. And I'm going to say up here right now, we have approximately 40 coaches that are coaching in some capacity in one or more of the programs. Okay. Okay. So, you know, yeah. I, I wanted to share a thought on, on the word coach because, <clears throat> you know, to be a coach for, for a lot of people, it's intimidating because immediately, you know, you, you feel as though you're assuming some responsibility for, well, first of all, knowing what you're doing and then being able to teach it to other people um, or to kids. Right. Yeah. And what I think it's important that we, we all understand is that whether you call yourself a coach or not, you are a coach every day because you are modeling. Like we are all modeling some sort of behavior in one fashion or another, 24 hours a day to people around us. I think by becoming a coach, you are making a personal commitment to be more intentional with your behavior and your engagement within society. Yeah. You're, you're essentially assuming more responsibility for what you do. Yeah. As so I think, yeah, you are, you are saying, 
I'm going to step forward out of the sea of people. You know, I'm going to step out of the group mindset. I'm going to assume responsibility for my actions and how they affect the community around me. And I'm going to make sure that we're having a positive influence. So, I mean, whether people want to realize it or not, you're, you are coaching every day. You are modeling every day to people. So why not just make the you know, personal decision to really own that at a higher level and help, you know, help either friends of yours, people around you, or even better yet, the youth that we have coming up through the ranks that will someday be adults. Yeah, no, that's a great reminder because and this could go totally sideways conversation, which we, we won't go there, but I, I feel like our society today has tries to almost ignore that entire part of any type of leadership, especially, you know, you go into the, the politics side or anything, they're right there like, well, they, they try to separate a person's personal life out. Um, but at the end of the day, that coach, a leader of those kids, um, they're being looked at all the time, right? Mm-hmm. When you, to, to what you just said, where you said trying to separate their personal life out, give me more on that. They're trying to separate their personal life out from what? Oh yeah. Like if you look at uh, like leadership and politics and that type of thing today, right. Um, You know, people, I guess there's a, um, how people behave and whatnot outside of their say specific job um, Mm -hmm. gets justified or, or um, not taken into account, whether that's you know like our our high end our highest politicians, right? Uh, right. right. So we're looking for role so models. The path maybe that you're kind of looking down as you're talking about this from your side is would be uh, that phrase that we've all heard from one time or another that um, you know it's just business, it's not personal. Yeah, yeah. Is it kind of that thought process that yeah. you're? working with him? I think so. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you're going to have a, a, a coach with a bunch of kids, I think to your point is they're taking on a lot of responsibility of, of, um, yeah. being a good example for those kids, right. All around. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah Cause, absolutely. Cause the kids don't separate yeah. that out. No, right? no, they don't. Absolutely not. So, I mean, I can, you know, kids are gonna, Kids are like little antennas, right? They're continuously receiving input. Yeah. Yep. They watch now, everything. And, and I would, ex- yeah, and I would extend this out and actually say whether we realize it or not. You know, this this does apply forward through adults. We're all antennas receiving information. Yep. You know, receiving signals from society, and then it's somehow processing through our psyche and our emotion, emotional responses to things, and you know from that, I guess, leaps forward our personality and our character. Yeah. But, you know, the thing I wanted to just touch on that I think is completely relevant in this conversation of doing hard things is when somebody says it's just business, it's not personal. There is this belief that there is somehow a separate set of rules and standards and conduct policies that apply in the world of business versus outside of the, you know, nine to five right. framework in your personal life. And, you know, I'm going to tell you that I think that that is 
that is one of the big flaws we have. You know, we're human beings. And to think that we have the ability to create two compartments, two ways of interacting with people in society, one while we're at work and another while we're not at work, that's insane. Yeah, no. That, that, that belief is literally insane. Yeah. I, now, I, don't, I don't know how you compartmentalize it. You can't. No. Now, you know, the sad fact is it gives that, that thought process basically just creates this, this advantage to those who are willing to go and operate in that mindset and use that to their advantage to, to profit and, and capitalize on everyone around them. Right. 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 Yeah. It's a justification. It, it is a justification to do things that you would not otherwise do because they would not be acceptable. Right. And it's, and it's creating a world now where we basically 24 hours a day are being marketed to, I think a lot of times not even truly realizing it. No, not at all. I mean, I mean the big brands, the big, smart, diverse brands are learning that the best, that when well, not the best, the new method of infiltrating society to sell their products is to create ambassadors and drop those ambassadors into the pockets of the general populace, right? Yep, Get them yep. to mingle in like they're just fitting in. They're just part of the gang. Um, but what that person or what those persons are doing is they're just pushing a corporate agenda for somebody to profit. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a convoluted uh, world that we're creating for, for our kids to come into. Yeah. So back to 906 Adventure Team. Yep. Why? What is, what is the draw? So you've, you've written about this a few times in the, the Doing the Hard Things blog, but there's all kinds of school sports in, in team activities. Um, there's not a huge population in the UP, right, where you guys are at. I mean, right. 906 comes from the, the phone area code, which that area code makes up the entire Upper Peninsula, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that is correct. You have all this involvement. So what is what is the draw to the 906 Adventure Team when there's all these other school sports going on? Well, I think the draw right now is that we have a a mission of inclusivity. And I mean, it's one thing to say that you're inclusive. It's another thing to actually be inclusive. Yeah. So, you know, we, we put it out there that we are inclusive and we have created a path <clears throat> for competitively minded youth and adventure youth, which has allowed us to grow our numbers exponentially very quickly. Um, that, I think, is, first of all, what makes us easy to be part of. Okay. Because there, there's just no polarity there. It's not, oh, I don't want to race, so I'm going to go find something else. Or, oh, I don't want to just, you know, no, this is from a competitive individual. Yeah. I, you know, with this whole concept of fun, I don't want to just go have fun. You know, I want to work hard and I want to compete and, you know, I want to win. Um, so they, they can't, they don't look at us and think that that's not available because it is. Right. Right. So there's, and this would tie back into this whole concept of doing hard things. Yep. So there's, there's different levels of doing hard things. And I think the level 
of difficulty in how hard the thing is you're going to do as a racer is going to be probably much more consistent, methodical, and harder because you're trying to induce a training response in your body that's going to make you stronger, faster, right? Yep. And you're, and, and you're trying to win versus adventure folks like us and like 80% of the people out there, they want to be fit. They, you know, they, they do want to push themselves, but they also want to be sure they're taking the time to experience what it is they're doing. And they just interact with the whole idea of doing hard things in a different way. They're still doing hard things. Yeah. It's just a, a different path. You know, it's, it's uh, a different way of doing it. So I think that's why it, this is so accessible um, not just for kids, but for adults. I mean, as we've grown our adventure bike club for, to 86 kids this year, I can tell you without hesitation that that has helped us grow our coach numbers as well, because more people in the community would rather participate in an adventure bike club and, and work with those kids and mentor those kids and have fun with those kids than would want to, you know, coach at a competitive level, kids who are going to race. Yeah. So this is a, this is a good, good place to, to bring this up then, because as you're talking about this, we're talking about the participation in it in, in some, not necessarily focused on the, the full competition. Um, that's, that's completely different than participation metal type thing though. Right. Like, um, like, I don't want to, I don't want to mistake it, mistake that. Right. Uh, if I'm coming across right on this, the adventure, it's the club is not about it. You're, you're still pushing, you're trying new things and, and you're getting kids out there and, and yes. doing new things. Right. Um, that, that is a great question. <laughs> and I'm glad that you brought it up. That is like a perfect question. So the, the issue with, I think competition and competitive sports, which by the way, I played my entire life and I love, I mean, I love basketball, football and all that stuff. So I'm not bashing on, on, you know, traditional team sports here, but I am going to tell you that I think now as an adult, the father, you know, in his mid forties, I see some serious flaws that, you know, catapult themselves through society. So the issue that we end up with, I just saw an article about this yesterday in traditional sports that basically saying parents, and adults are ruining youth, youth sports like baseball, basketball, and football. Yeah. What happens is they become too trophy and medal and win focused. And then in the, in, for the kids then, it's almost like they've sent this message of, well, if I don't win, if I don't take first place, or if I don't get the trophy, or if we don't win the championship, then we failed. Right. Right. So it's like yeah. this all or none uh, mentality that that is being taught to kids and really pushed hard by, um, you know, I guess adults who maybe don't see a much bigger picture in our, you know, to our future. Yep. So we're not the adventure team. I can tell you emphatically is not an organization perpetuating um, participation medals. I, right. Anybody who knows me personally 
would laugh at the at the prospect <laughs> that I'm giving out participation medals to anybody. Yep. Uh, it's not happening. That's why I brought it up. So, I wanted to, to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, because to those on the outside who maybe don't know me and know the organization, they may think, oh, you know, here we go. We got another organization that's just saying that, you know, every kid can win. That's not what we're saying. Yeah. We're redefining what we believe a win to be. Okay. The win for us is that we can individually focus on each child, each youth, and take them on the path to a better version of themselves to where they feel better about themselves and start developing this, this lifestyle of being able to achieve more for themselves. That's the win. Yeah. And I, and I'm a believer that through doing that, they, they become stronger both physically and mentally capable of more both now and, and as a young adult and then in the future as, as a full fledged adult. And just through osmosis, those kids, as they become capable of more and develop all of these, you know, attributes attached to it, they're also going to, they would make good team members in sports because they're just going to be more self assured and more confident and uh, more, more healthy and physically developed. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think going back on that, right. That it's, it's swinging the pendulum. So, you know, what you see in a lot of sports, I think is the, uh, going after that win. And if you're not that couple, couple individuals that, that can win, then you get that pendulum that swings all the way back to the other side. And it's just, well, winning's not important. It's just for fun. Did you have fun? That's all that matters, which is that pendulum got swung way back (laughs) the wrong direction now. And now you stop trying to get better because you're just trying to have fun and you quit working hard because it's out of reach and you forget about that whole middle ground with, are you bettering yourself? Are you making yourself stronger? Are you trying new things? Are you accomplishing more than you did yesterday? You're right on the money. I think we're, our, our emphasis is not um, that we're just, you know, having this big fun parade, right? We are, we're, creating an organization that is able to say, uh, you know, we're going to go out, we're going to take a ride. We're going to do stuff that maybe we couldn't do yesterday. Um, If we can't do it today, we're going to do it each following day until we can do it. You know, this is for the kids now. Yeah. And they're going to, and they're going to improve and they're going to be like, wow, you know, I can, I can do that now, which of course is going to result in, you know, uh, a bunch, a, a great, a positive emotional response. Right. Yep. And, and we're, we're focusing just more on personal development, responsibility, uh, work ethic. And what we're saying while we're doing it is, Hey, by the way, while we're being responsible people in society and responsible kids in society, you, you can actually have fun doing that. And here's how, yeah. you know, it's, a lot of society somehow signals and it was, it was actually captured in a quote from a kid last year because on our, in everything we do with ABC and NICA and uh, anything that is a, a 906 youth program, one of the non-negotiable rules is w- there are no wheelies during the two hours that you're with me, your wheels 
will only leave the ground if necessitated by a trail feature. You know, you're not going to intentionally go around wheeling disrespectfully through the parking lot or crashing and breaking your arm on my time. You can go do that on your own time. <laughs> That's interesting. And we, yeah. and we had a kid... We had a kid last year as I was kind of onboarding our new group last year, and I got to the no wheelie rule, and the kid looked at me, and he said, oh, so basically what you're saying is we can't have any fun. And I looked at him, and I said, no, I didn't say that at all. I said, you're not going to do wheelies. And what I mean by that is that is not the purpose and the goal. You know, you can ride respectfully. You can be a respectful person and still have fun. And that's what we're going to focus on. Well, after that, I never heard, I never heard an objection from that kid again. And I guarantee you from knowing him, he's had a lot of fun over the past year riding with us. <laughs> nice. Huh. But, you know, I've had adults, um, I roll to the, the, the no wheelie rule. And I'm sorry, but first of all, when you're running a program that's truly a program and you're dealing with a this year, we'll have a hundred kids up here during the summer. Yeah. From a, let's just say there's two things I'll touch on liability. You have to have a no wheelie rule. Okay. If you have a free for all, um, no, if you just allow that stuff to happen as it may with 100 kids, you're going to have kids get hurt. We had a kid last year do wheelies after practice was done. We were outside of the nine Oh six time. Yeah. But he was still close to us, right? Like the ride had just ended. So he was off my time, which means you can go wheelie. Then you're not on my time. He flipped over and broke his arm. Now, if I had not from the beginning established a very clear rule that we don't do this, if you do this, you're violating team policy. It'd be pretty easy for the, you know, for a motivated parent to come back and try to peg it on me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So there is some liability um, rationale there. I mean, the first thing we do as an organization is manage risk, and that's in our in our order of operations that we have for the organization. They are in level of priority: risk management, fun, and meaningful uh, instruction. That's how we prioritize, you know, the way we handle the groups. Right. Now, on the other hand, you know, <clears throat> so the discipline of not doing wheelies, there's like 168 hours or so in a week. And if, if your son spends two rides with me a week, that's going to be a total of about four hours, right? Yep. So that means he has 164 hours on, on his time <laughs> and on his parents' time to do whatever he wants to do or, or whatever she wants to do. Cause we actually have a lot of girls in the program too, but for four hours, when the kids come and ride with us, not only are they going to, to, you know, learn a bunch of great stuff about mountain biking, but most importantly, or, you know, maybe equally importantly, they learn some disciplines, right? That's what we're, that's what we're trying to do. And this, the, the disciplines, while they may not fully understand how to capitalize on the signaling we're providing them right now as a 10, 12, 13, 14, or 15 year old, it's still being 
it's still being communicated to them. They're still receiving the signaling that we're providing them. And I think that spending four hours a week around discipline and responsibility and effort and learning what it means to be consistent and learning to become a little more gritty. I think that's a good investment into your kid's future. Yeah, I think so. I, I see all the, uh, do you guys have some t-shirts to say consistency? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think to see them on Instagram or something. So yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. As far as, so like you're, you got all the coaches, which are likely probably parents. Um, you know, there's all this, there's obviously a lot of focus on the kids, but I would assume you've got a lot of adults that at the end of a riding season, find themselves doing new things, challenging themselves, accomplishing things they didn't think they could the previous year. Uh, and then like mm-hmm. signing up for some of your races. Mm-hmm. You know, the surprising thing with our coach count is that we, yes, of course, you know, you're going to have parents that want to coach when their kids are involved. But we have a lot of coaches that don't have kids in the program. They just believe in what we're doing and how we're doing. And that's something, at least from my seat, makes me proud of what we've been able to do so far. Because when you can get people to come in and commit time to something that they don't have kids in, which could you know correlate to they don't have skin in the game, as some people might put it. Yeah. That, that's a good thing. I mean, that's, I think that tells you then that your ultimate mission and goal speaks to people. One other thing I'd add on that, if yeah. you don't mind, is we've been strategic in that when parents coach on the team, yeah. I'm going to say 99% of the time, they do not coach or ride in a group where their child is participating if if they have a child in the in the program. Oh yeah, that's interesting, right? Because the then you don't end up with a focus just on one kid. Right? It it's that, but it's also so, you know, going back to 168 hours in a week, I'm going to and I'm going to use Cable as my example. He's my youngest son. Yeah, I was I was going to ask about it. So yeah. Okay. So cable right now, you know, he spends 168 hours a week with me, which some people might be like, Oh my God, that has got to be intense. <laughs> so in, in the, in the process of spending 168 hours a week with me, obviously we develop a, a rapport and just a way that we interact. Uh, we have a very set protocol and just relationship, right? Uh, It's a matrix that has developed it through his life. So I believe it's a good thing for him and for my older son and for all the kids out there to in the four hours a week when they're with us right now, spend time with somebody else. You know, kids will, kids will receive critiquing and they will do things for other coaches that may become problematic if directed by their parent. So this allows us to make sure that in our groups, we don't actually, I'd say favoritism is probably the least of the the things I'm afraid of. It's more, I am afraid that 
the the uh, interaction style on the trail is just you know not going to be conducive to the overall group goal. And I and I would tell you, and I mean, a lot of parents agree with this. In fact, I haven't had one that hasn't agreed with this. It's good for the parents and the kids to get into different groups because more often than not, the kids will do things for other adults who aren't their parents that they might balk at if it's mom or dad. Yeah. Yeah. So that's in that, you know, like the no wheelie rule. That's also been a rule. I mean, I've had parents call me and say, Hey, can, you know, can I sign my kid up and ride with them? And the answer is no, you can ride with us. You can help other kids, but I'm not putting you with your kids. They, they got to spend 164 hours with you, just like cable does. They need a break from us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. So speaking of cable, uh, tell me about this quote: "If you don't own it, it will own you." <laughs> well, okay. Uh, that quote came from Gavin, the older one. Oh, okay. But that. nonetheless. Gavin and I just talked about that quote on the way to school this morning. I'd go back to what I said maybe five minutes ago. You know, Gavin, so Gavin wrote the quote on my whiteboard one day when he was at work with me. If you don't own it, dot, 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 it will own you. Yeah. I saw the quote when I walked into work the next morning. I didn't even realize he had written it. And I sat in my chair and looked and I was like, wow, that's, that's <laughs> profound. Yeah. So I Google. I actually Googled the quote, assuming he had stolen it, right? <laughs> yeah. Or 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 seen it somewhere. Because I'm like, that can't be original work. It's just that that's a pretty deep thought. So I yeah. Googled it. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it anywhere. I think he actually did like create that quote. So on the way to the gym, um, I don't know if it was that day or I think actually I think it was a few days after he had written it. You know, it came to mind and I looked at him as we're, as we're driving and I asked him, I'm like, you know, that quote is really profound, Gavin. You know, what was in your head? What were you thinking of when you wrote it? And and just a classic response from a 14-year-old, you know, he's like, oh, nothing. I was just, you know, I'm just making stuff up and it sounded cool. So, <laughs> but... So I laughed about it and I thought, oh, because I was hoping I was going to be able to write a you know deeper story through the blog about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that dream crashed and burned because he just, he totally squashed it. But my point on it is, to what I said earlier, you know, Gavin, obviously, he's grown up with me. He spends a lot of time with me. We've been going to the gym together now for seven, eight months. Um, just a lot of coaching that he receives from me as his father. And while he may not understand what that quote is, the fact that he wrote it tells you that at some level in his mind, his 14 year old mind, that, that phrase is there, right? Yeah. There's some deep thoughts around that, that. Yes. Yeah. There's some, and, and it's good. And I think, Okay, going back to the signaling and how kids receive, they are continuously receiving information and modeling from adults. You're putting this information into kids' minds and into their hearts. And whether it's positive or negative, they are receiving it, right? And then somehow it will come, it will manifest within their being 
And it's going to come back out in, in, a, in a wide range of ways. Again, maybe positive, maybe negative. I think Gavin's understanding of his quote, uh, if you don't own it, it will own you. As a 14-year-old, he understands it in a way that will be much different than he will uh, mature, mature to understand it in five years, 10 years, and 15 years. As long as we, we being our, his parents, continue to reinforce the same messaging and signaling and information that has helped create that thought process in his head that, you know, ended up on a whiteboard in that quote. Right. He is going to advance as an individual. Um, and, and maybe 10, 15 years from now, that quote is going to have a different and much more impactful value in his life. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I saw it and I, I got it. I mean, I, yeah, a, a lot of people wake up in the morning and just try to get through the day. So whatever they have going yeah. on kind of just owns their life life versus them yeah. actually purposefully doing things. Um, and that, that has actually nothing to do with the whole, you know, live life with purpose or whatever it's, but it's being intentional about the things that you do versus, um, mm -hmm. things just happening and you just getting through it. Now, I the thing I would put out there, the thing I'd put out for adults, I, and I agree with you, Steve, is what is important Gavin, Gavin didn't just, uh, I didn't tell him one thing one day within the span of 60 seconds that created this epiphany in his mind that spawned the quote. Right. What created that has been a reinforcement of positive parenting and coaching across months and years. And that's why it's important that at a young age, this entire process of immersing them in the proper modeling is important because it's, it's a compounding effect as they get older. You can't just, I, if I waited until Gavin was 20, if I said, oh, he's too young for this, he's, he's, he can't grasp this, this is beyond him because he's 14, I'm going to wait till he's 20 and then I'm going to start digging in, you know, hardcore with him. Uh, so much developmental time has passed. I don't know. I don't know that you'd ever be able to get him to the same place. Yeah. And I know, you know, these, I know a lot of, a lot of this stuff is just my opinion and my philosophy and, and my belief. But I mean, I do spend a lot of time with, with not just my kids, but just a lot of people's kids. And a lot of what I'm saying is, being shared on personal experience with the kids and just seeing how different kids adapt to things, you know, based on different life experiences. Yeah. Where do we want to go next? <laughs> well, how, how did all this, cause it's like, it's um, one specific thing didn't necessarily lead to the next from the outside. Right. And we talked about this before mm -hmm. when we first started the calls. Um, I'm in awe personally of one, knowing the population size of the UP and how big the organization up there, it's 
it's got to be an entire community thing. And then how did it so quickly go into Margie Gessick, Polar Roll, now the hammer? Um, how, how does that, how does that all, all happen? Um, I'm going to share a personal. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to share a personal story. This is a story that, and, and I'm not looking for any, uh, you know, any sympathy votes on this. This is just a matter of fact, uh, something that happened in my life that is probably singularly responsible for where I am today. And this happened, uh, oh, what is it now? Nine years ago. <clears throat> Very few people know the story, but I'm going to share it because um, it also kind of dovetails in a little bit to doing the hard things and why I think through personal experience of my own, this is so important for people. Um, I know there's a lot of people that sometimes from the outside, you know, they'll, they'll look at people and they'll, they'll just make judgments like, you know, things come so easy to this person or they seem to have it so good, blah, blah, blah. Well, this is a, you know, this is an example of how something affected me and how you, you I think we all need to be careful on how we judge people. Yeah, well, absolutely. Trust so, so nine years ago, I was working for a very large um, corporation worldwide. I was a district sales manager and I, I worked for this company, a company that my father had worked for for 28 years, approximately. Um, he and I, Probably worked together there for, I don't know, I'm going to, I'm going to say 10. That's approximate. And, uh, at the, it's a jump off point of the story. I, I was coming back. This was like May or April of 09. I was coming back from a, a vacation up in the boundary waters or on the border route trail in Minnesota. Oh, nice. We had done a five day backpack, um, point to point and, I came home and took a call from my dad and he said, uh, you know, I was still on vacation at this point. He said, I need to see you tomorrow morning. We need to get together and talk about a couple of things. And again, we we're working at this time for the same company. He, Oh, you know, at the time actually that this happened, I'm sorry, I need to correct this. I was working as a sales person in the iron mountain, ironwood, crystal falls, uh, kind of, what would that be mid central Western UP? He was a district sales manager up here in Marquette County for Cisco. Okay. I lived in Iron Mountain. I lived in Iron Mountain when this happened. So I met him the next morning. It was a Thursday morning, <clears throat> no Thursday or Friday morning. And what he told me was that he was going to be fired. And he knew this, he, he had known this was coming and he arranged a deal with a competitor for him to get hired by them. Okay. It was a direct head to head competitor with the company we worked for. He was going to go to work for them. And he looked at me across the table and he said, I want you to come with me. I want us to do this together. Now you can imagine if this is your father, yeah. you know, the guy that raised you, the guy that taught you how to catch a baseball, taught you everything you know, and is probably the reason that you are who you are at that moment. You know, what's your first inclination going to be? What would yours be, Steve? I don't know. 
yeah, matter of perspective. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So I think a lot of people would be motivated to think, well, this is my father. I can tell you that that's what my dad thought the motivation should be. Yeah. And that I should, and that I should go with him. And initially, I said, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, I think that would be the initial response from most yep. people. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So this was big because this, this company we worked for is all I had ever known for my entire life. It's all that I knew yeah. that my dad had done. I had been, it's, it's like I was you know, brainwashed to be a Detroit Lion fan, which by the way, I was. <laughs> and, uh, and now I'm being asked to go play for the Packers. Yeah. And I, right. and I have that response to it personally, just cause I, I have kind of always had a very independent thought process for some reason, even from being from, from a young age, but, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, I think majority, right. So anyways, go ahead. So I, uh, we proceeded with the intent to go to this competitor and, you know, in my dad's eyes, there was a very vindictive plan to come back and redeem himself by taking a lot of business from the company that he had just served 28 years because he was being let go. And I was going to be part of that plan because, you know, there's non-competes involved and we were going to be able to flip-flop areas and then our non-competes wouldn't apply. And it, and it just would have been for lack of a better term, it would have been a shit show. Um, so I got to the point where I had to go through onboarding with the human resources with this company and uh, sitting at the table, going through the onboarding process with many, many, many thoughts in my head. The conclusion I came to was I can't do this. And the reason I couldn't do it as much as I loved my father and still love him today is First of all, I have a commitment to my family. You know, at this time when this happened, my dad had about five years left and then he was retiring. Okay. At that, at that point in 09, I have the rest of my professional career ahead of me and I didn't want to work for that company. You know, I had been basically raised to make sure I never did. Yeah. So there was that component, but then the other component, and I did a, uh, a blog post on this. Uh, one time, a long time ago, it was titled "The Greater Good: Serving the Greater Good." Yes, I have a I have a belief that we can't all go through life selfishly serving ourselves. Yeah, I agree. And I felt like the move the move to uh, this competitor um, was vindictive and entirely self serving, and was a big middle finger to the salespeople, the drivers, and the families of the company who had served my dad for nearly 28 years. So I couldn't do it. You know, I could not have gone to work and got up every day and looked those people in the eye, especially from my perspective, because I only would have been doing it because daddy did it. Right. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's not a good reason. I'm sorry. You know, sorry, but that's not a good reason to do anything just because somebody else you, you like or love did it. That's ridiculous. Yeah. hundred percent agree. So at the point that I turned away from it, um, I had to actually go to my dad's motel room the next day after I decided I couldn't do it, look him in the eye and tell him I was leaving. And it was devastating to him. 
absolutely devastating. I got home that night after driving back to Marquette or sorry, Iron Mountain. And, you know, I told my wife, Stacy, I said, I can't do it. I'm staying with Cisco and our family's never going to be the same because of it. So, you know, the, the fast forward, where did this end up? I haven't talked to my dad in basically nine years. We've seen each other. We've had some brief moments of trying to put it together, but you know, the, the betrayal that he feels he suffered at my hand made things irreparable. The interesting thing that ended up happening is he, he, he did become a regional manager for this company that was competing with Cisco. Yeah. I ended up taking his district sales manager position that he vacated when he was let go. Wow. And, and what it turned into was basically a head-to-head match between a father and a son. So <clears throat> I know what it was like to live through that for three years of competing with my father head-to-head. I know what it felt like to be man- or, or attempted to be manipulated by people who were trying to capitalize on that advantage of trying to work us against one another. I know what the last nine years of my life have felt like not just losing my dad, but my, my mom and, you know, my siblings and everybody else with it from that side. So my realization is this kind of does play forward to doing the hard things is I, you know, I, I am fortunate enough to somehow be wired to survive it and, and to, to be able to come out of it on the other end, and use it to do good. Yeah, absolutely. But not every, not every, not everybody would have come out of that experience that same way. They could have taken one of a million different paths through it. So you know that was the moment in my life where I said, I have to do something. You know, it was just it became purposeful for me. In that. I looked at my dad who had served something for 28 years and it was all he had served and was true to through and through. And he had preached it to his families and to his family and his kids. And in the, in the course of one conversation in an hour on a day in 2009, he was willing to completely go against everything he had taught for my entire life. It just flipped something in my head where it was like, I don't want that to be me when I'm 60. I don't want to flip on what I've been for the majority of my life. Yeah. And it's, I'm not trying to discredit what my dad was because my dad made me what I am with my mother. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it was a mess. And that is what's helped galvanize my personal constitution of not just running around through life, trying to serve myself you know, realizing the greater good is what we should all be serving on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. Man, thanks. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, like I said, a couple of people have known the story. I've never really talked about it publicly, but I share it, I guess, as a way to say, hey, you know what? The road isn't easy for me. It's not like it's not like I don't feel the burden of the same stuff everybody else does. Right. It's not like I'm not out here grinding through struggles and uh, complicated dynamics in my life, but 
I do not allow myself to be uh, defined by them. You know, I use them to fuel me to try to do good and just to try to help people find their path through this crap. Yeah. You can't always, I mean, you got to know when to, um, you got to know when to take, you get, if you don't take care of yourself, it's hard to take care of everyone else. But if you're always focused on what's best for you, um, without looking at anything else around you, I I think Mm -hmm. it's going to get you in trouble. I think it is. And I think that, you know, too many people nowadays are doing that. Yeah. And that, that kind of, you know, it puts it, puts us in the hole where, where sometimes we feel like we are, um, you know, I wanted to add this little note. We, I had a manager who left uh border grill this week and she's, she's moving on to do some other stuff. And then at the first part of 2019, her and her uh, future husband are supposed to be moving out West to pursue some, you know, opportunities out there. She sent me an email yesterday. It was her last day. And uh, she said, she referenced doing the hard things. And she shared that kind of her, her way of um, translating doing the hard things through the things that I've written and different things is that she sees it as I'm trying to share a message of doing the right things. That obviously is probably a more palatable palatable message for people because just the word hard is somewhat you know, hard for people to swallow. Like, why would I want to do hard stuff? Yeah. But, you know, I appreciated that note from her and really through the Doing the Hard Things blog and, and the different things we're doing with our 906 Adventure Team programs, doing the right things is a great way to say doing the hard things another way. Because if you read the blog posts, basically that's all the post talks about is, you know, there's a better way for us to do things. There's a better way for us to behave as people, as communities, as societies. Um, And a lot of it it deals with interpersonal things and different communication type things that create issues for us. Yeah. And it's saying, you know, if, if we do what is intrinsically right in how we treat people, it's going to create a better world, a better reality for everybody. And by the way, sometimes doing the right thing, it's going to be hard. It's not all uh, sunshine and lollipops. No, it's, it's really not. And, you know, the, just the, the aversion sometimes that people have today to accepting responsibility for being able to say in a positive way, like, yeah, you know what? We have to be willing to do the hard thing sometimes, or we have to be willing to do the hard thing, or, hey, sometimes it's just going to be hard. People's aversion to that is an indication to me that we're on the wrong path. That's why we're putting that, you know, that stuff out through the blog, just trying to say, hey, 60, 70 years ago, when our parents were kids or, you know, their parents were kids, life was just harder. The world was harder because we were less advanced and evolved in our technology and then the way we did things. Now, when you fast forward to today, 
kids today and even maybe the generation before them are growing up in generations where we're hyper-focused on making things easy and fun. Whereas back in the day, you know, uh, before, and I hate using that term, but there's no other way to put it, you know, (laughs) in the generations before us, they didn't struggle with hard things so much because everything was probably harder. Yeah. So it was just, it was day to day. Yeah. And it was just day to day life. So now it's like we're shifting, you know, too far the other way where everything's got to be super easy um, and and just fun focused. Like, Hey, I just want to have fun. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I hear that even from sometimes employees, like how was the shift today? Uh, it wasn't fun. Oh, it was, Oh, it was hard. Yeah. It just wasn't fun. Well, that's what work is sometimes. Yep. I mean, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> yeah. Even the but, things that you enjoy are not always going to be fun. Yeah. That's a great soundbite. Even the things you enjoy will be hard at times, and that's okay. Yeah. Right. Yep. I mean, come on, man. You know, and that's we have we can't lose touch with that. I'm not saying that every day should be a death march. I'm not saying that you should get up every day and do the Margie Gessick. Right. right. What kind of life would that be? That would. That, you know what that's called? That's called hell. That's yeah. That's called. Yeah. That would suck. Yeah. But you have to have the capacity when things don't go your way or when things just go sideways and it gets hard. You have to have the fortitude and the capacity and the experiences to draw back from to to work through hard stuff. Yeah, and I think oh yeah. So purpose purposely putting yourself in situations or things that you could fail at are the things that prepare you for the unknowns that are going to come up that are hard. Yes. Yes. If you never purposely put yourself into situations that it's likely you're going to fail at, um, you won't know how to handle it when it just naturally happens in your life. That's absolutely true. I've, I've had parents say, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to make, I'm just, I'm trying my, I'm trying to make sure that he doesn't fail or I'm just trying to make sure she doesn't fail. And I, I, I look at him and say, why? Yeah. You know, I, I take Gavin and uh, cable and other kids and we put them in positions to potentially fail. We do not shield them from it. And if they do, then it becomes a mission to be able to at some point do what they just failed at. And they embrace the opportunity to work, to work through it, to do the work. Yeah. That's what we have. That's what we have to put back into society is, you know, we have to be willing to say, admit that things are hard and you have to develop a, an ability to do it. And then you need to go out and, be willing to spend time with kids and do hard things with them and show them how to do hard things and work through things. And, you know, it's, it's really not that hard. (laughs) Right. Or maybe, or maybe it is, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so I have this conversation with, I mean, I, I'm a personal trainer and so I just part-time with yours a week and I, I work in a, 
a couple gyms. And most of the folks I work with at a gym are um, just just getting started, right? They, they came in there uh, because life was getting hard probably because of their physical condition. Um, and they can't sometimes a, a lot of times, right. They either burn out or they're, they have a hard time with the motivation or, ah, uh, just, it, it's hard getting through this workout. And it's like, well, you're here though, because everything else was hard. So, I mean, if you, if you can't push yourself for the 45 minutes here, um, then 24 hours a day is going to be hard. Um, yep. like it's going to the gym is not always going to be fun. You're not always going to enjoy it, but they're doing it because they can make other things in their life more enjoyable or easier to get through. So, um, completely agree. Yeah. I mean, if I didn't go out and put in some hard training rides, um, you know, the, the Margie Gessick would be even more miserable than it already is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amen. Uh, amen to that. Yeah. And it's, but there, it is a little bit weird. I mean, there's, there's many parts of it. You didn't, it's enjoyable to go do things that you otherwise maybe couldn't do two years ago or three years ago or four years ago. There's that back to that sense of accomplishment and it's not a participation award thing, but it's the ability to go do something new that you couldn't accomplish yesterday. And, you know, the, the Margie is a, a great um, example of how mental grit, I'm going to say, can trump physical strength and ability. And what I mean by that is, it, you know, as you know, or you might have heard, the Margie's hard. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> okay, but the cool thing, and I've, you know, Danny and I have witnessed this across the years that we've done the event. Um, we've had people who consider themselves to be highly skilled, high level, elite athletes from a physical standpoint. Yeah. Not finish the race. Yep. Yeah. Every year. They've quit. They've, they've given up. It was too much. And, you know, what broke, I don't think, was their body. It was their mind. Yep. And then, and then at the same time, while these physically superior athletes quit and went home, we've had less physically gifted or skilled or less strong athletes and everyday people ride their bike for hours into the night to finish. Yeah. And what is the difference? Or run. Between those. Right. Yeah, or fun. Right. Um, you know, it's just the, the mental aspect of life, the importance of it cannot be discounted. And there are things that we should be teaching the kids and our kids and, and the community's kids through experience, right? Not, not by um, dictation and, and speeches, but by getting out there and doing it with them. Like, you know, in the moment, riding bikes, just doing some hard stuff, and then 
imparting life's lessons on them through those experiences. Yeah. So where do you want to take this from here? We're, um, you've got this other post out there called the new normal. And then I, then we want to, I'd like to talk about the hammer and some other things that 906 adventure teams going, got going on. And, um, but what is this? What do you mean by the new normal? Uh, you're referring to one of the blog posts, right? I am. Yeah. It, and I, I think I know what that means is, but it's, everything's relative to what you're used to. So if, Oh yeah. Okay. So that was, that was from when we were doing the, um, the spring training in the gym this year. Right. Yep. Yeah. You created actually, I'm going to, yeah, I am. This is, I'm actually glad you brought this up. I just brought up the, uh, the post just to remind myself where I was at when I wrote that. Okay, so, you know, the new normal, like right now, I feel in general that, you know, for the general populace, that things like going to the gym, general populace being both adult and and youth, going to the gym seems to be, oh boy, I don't know. um, I don't know, elitist isn't the right word, but it's just not accepted as a norm, I guess that, that activity, particularly for kids. I mean, we're introducing kids to a gym environment that for most adults can be intimidating. Yeah. Um, we're getting them comfortable in, in these environments where right now I would say it's not normal. That's, that really is where I'm going with the new normal and, and in manifesting a structured, um, approach to challenging kids and keeping them fit at a very early age, this creates a new normal for us, which would create a new normal in society as it plays forward. Now the challenge on creating a new normal, uh, what I'm finding is, you know, as we develop our nonprofit organization, when you go to sponsors or partners or foundations seeking support, they want to give you money to do, or generally to normally buy specific things. They, they, they definitely prefer tangible things that they can point to and say, my money bought that. Yeah. And they do not want the funds to sustain your organization. Like a, a big question becomes, what's your, what's your plan for sustainability? How do we know this is going to be going yet in five years? We're, you know, unique in that we do have a couple of events that generate cash and we have programs that generate cash for the kids, but I mean, we don't charge a lot of money for those programs. When you start to charge for the actual programming that you want the kids and the family to become engaged in, as soon as you start charging, you've created a, a barrier of entry for many families out there yeah, because they can't afford it. And this is viewed as extracurricular and something you can do without. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, bikes, so, bikes alone are a, a barrier. 
entry. Yeah, absolutely. And just the gym, you know, a gym membership is a, for some families going to be a barrier, barrier to entry. So, you know, the, the, the challenge for us right now is to figure out how the heck do we make this sustainable long-term without turning the families and the kids into the primary source of income? Because the more it relies on them to provide the income, the fewer people we can reach. We just, it restricts our ability to reach more people. Yeah. And I would say those, those families and those kids who can't afford it or don't have the, you know, surplus in their budget to do it. Those are the people and the kids who need it the most. Yeah. Most likely. Yeah. So it's, it's a conundrum. I don't have it figured out, but I, you know, I am the one that sits and stares at it every day. Um, along with our board and, and other very committed volunteers. And that is the reality. Um, we've got to figure out how to sustain this thing, not dependent on the families driving the, uh, the cash flow. And if we can do that, we're, we've, again, across four years, we've developed a proof of concept that I believe shows this works. We just need to figure out how to scale it out through other communities in the UP, which means we can reach more kids, you know, and then suddenly um, this new normal will develop where um, participation in programs such as 906 Adventure Team that is truly accessible by all kids, um, truly all inclusive in that all you got to do is show up and you have to ride your bike because we don't allow e-bikes, which means you need to pedal. Uh, you know, and the analogy there is there's no bench, right? There's yeah. everybody, everybody quote plays, which is not a message of weakness or participation metal. It's just saying every kid on that green space, every kid on that trail has 120 minutes to improve their best. Right which is to me, which is to me what we should be prioritizing. Yeah. And the difference, the key thing, I mean, uh, what I pick up on that is right. So when there's no, when there's no bench here, but that, what that means is you're not taking playing time away from someone else to make sure everybody gets to play. Right. Uh, yeah. Which is what happens on the basketball team. Right. I mean, and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to play your best players and then the focus goes there um, and if you are on the bench, um, you're likely to continue staying there, right? Um, yeah. Because you got to take time away from another player to get you in the bench, which that's not that's not really right either. This is an opportunity where everyone gets to play without taking playing time away from someone else. Right. If, if and correct. and I don't think it's you know some people might look at it as weak or as a weakness. No. I think it's the sing- one of the singular strengths that our program has is that every kid's going to be given the opportunity to to improve himself. Absolutely, yeah. The f- from all the way from the the fastest down to the slowest, right? They all yeah. they all get to work for an a uh, uh, hundred and twenty minutes each time they show up. Yeah, and and trust me, there's there's no option but for them to do that because our coaches will keep them and take them to task. 
when there's behavior issues, we address it. You know, there, you know, there is, it's 120 minutes of fun, physical, you know, safe activity, but we're also talking a lot about life stuff that while they may not grasp the full message today at 14 or 12, it's still four hours a week that they're now hearing some consistent messaging that they otherwise may not be hearing elsewhere. So it's it's a great opportunity. I mean, I've said this maybe in a blog post or I've mentioned it to people that I've talked to before. I've sat and watched practices now as a dad, you know, in my 40s. And I mean, the reality is those kids on mid-second string down to third string, they're just filling gaps on the team. They're They're not developing. They're not given the same opportunity to develop the starters are, and I get it because the team goal, what's important to the team is the priority. It isn't the individual that's the priority. Right. And I know I'd probably get some, you know, coaches that would argue that, but I would just say, go watch some practices, you know, that aren't yours. And then you tell me how out of a practice of 15 kids, those last five to seven kids, you know, mid second to third string, how much did they play in relation to how much your starters and upper second string played? And then you tell me who had an equal opportunity and who didn't. Yeah. You know, and, they're going to be, they're going to, they're going to protect their interests, but the truth is the truth. Yeah. And, and I don't know that you're, I don't know that you're bashing that you're, it's just a reality, right? Is that what you're yes, saying? Yes, that's exactly, yeah. that's exactly it. I'm just saying, you know, it's a matter of fact. the world likes to, Yes, people like to play angles and they like to try to make things things that they're not or spin them to look other than what they truly are. I'm a pretty matter-of-fact person, and in particular when it comes to the development of kids, um, I think that we're only hurting ourselves by not being matter-of-fact and honest about the reality of what's going on. Right, yeah. So, you know, if we want things to be better, the first thing we're going to need to be willing to do is look in the mirror and accept accept some very difficult realities that that being that while traditional sports are fantastic and great and I played them and I love them and I'll continue to watch them with my boys, you know, they just, they have some inherent weakness built into them because they are, they are prioritizing winning, which means the best have to play the majority of the time. Yeah. So, you know, I think yeah, and sports, I think, should stay what they are. Um, but we need more programs, I think, like 906 Adventure Team that are more focused on the individual development, which we then believe will result in team victory, the team being the community. Yeah, I would say you guys are winning up there. From a, We talked earlier about like the community. Marquette County mm-hmm. is obviously behind it. I mean, that's I like your events up there. I go up there to them because it, it – just as an outsider, you get a feel that the whole community is behind it. Um, yep. And it's appreciated that you're there, you know, so. Yep. Um, anything else on uh, on that? Because I do want to talk, let you have us a chance to talk about the hammer and, you know, yeah. some other stuff you got going on. Sure. Dive in and uh, we can hammer through it. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> this is so the hammer 
is a was a ride or was it a race that was previously out there and it's kind of transitioned to something new this year? Yeah, um, you know the the first innovator of the that event and course is Matt Beardsley, friend of mine. Matt's been very involved in helping volunteering with 906 through our other events and stuff. Okay. So really, I mean, Matt gets credit for the original vision of the route and, and doing it, but he did it so far under the radar that people just didn't know about it. I first did, and at this time it was called the Huron Mountain Crusher. That's okay. what the event was called. I did it uh, in 2016 for the first time. And I think that year was like 160 miles. And, you know, did it, we did it in a day, got back. And I was like, that is the most incredible ride I've ever been on. Um, so then I did it again the next year and it was a little bit longer and the course was a little bit different. I think actually we did it in reverse the second year okay. and then with some, some new stuff. And I came back from it again, I think it was 170 miles or so, you know, last year. And again, I was like, man, this, this is just phenomenal. And part of the aspect of the event that I like, aside from just being really freaking hard, <laughs> is that um, it is unsupported, meaning when we left last year, it was me and Scott Hubbard and John Kangas. Uh, by the way, Kangas went into this event, 170-mile event we were going to do in a day. He hadn't trained for it. He basically got called out by his wife <laughs> during the week. <laughs> Seriously. Um, called out and, and did it because of being called out by his wife and then <laughs> proceeded to, to crush it and, and did it. Many props to John if he listens to this. Many props to you um, and to your wife for calling you out, actually. Uh, so there's no support. When we left, like I think there was one point at about mile 90 where we could resupply our, from our drop egg that we had given Matt Beardsley. Yeah. So he, he met us up in Lons. Okay. And, and then we were able to resupply ourselves based on what we had given him to take for us. We resupplied, and then from 90 to 170, we were on our own. We were in parts of the most, some of the most remote parts of the upper peninsula that you will find yourself in without cell service and without any way out of, except to hope you can ride your bike out of there. So it's like this mental, I mean, there is, you got to be prepared for this race. What'd you do for water? You, well, so we had to have what water we needed on us. And the three of us felt that, that we did, that we were adequately prepared for the last That's a lot basically of water. 80 miles. Well, that is a lot of water. And what we found out, or what a couple of us found out um, with about 40 or 30 miles to go was they didn't have enough water. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a lot of water. And of course, nobody, we, we hadn't brought water filters. So nobody had a filter to filter water. We ended up uh, finding a guy at his camp, the camp did not have water. That's how, that's how camps in the UP roll. He did not have water at his camp. So he gave John 
like I think four water bottles, 16 ounce bottles of water, like, I don't know, ice mountain or something. Yeah. And, uh, and John, and I think John and Scott ended up splitting it amongst them. And then that, that got us up to uh five ten as far as the Noki trailhead. And actually his wife, John's wife, Stacy ran water to us to get us to the end because they didn't have enough water. <laughs> it was what a, uh, it's a day, man. Yeah. It is a freaking day. If you had a filter, is there places to, to filter some water? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there is. And okay. on the, on the hammer, one of the required pieces of equipment is going to be a water filter. Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, I've done it for two years and I thought, you know what, this is really, it's another one of those unique routes and events that I think if, if people do it and they experience it, um, again, you got to be, I guess, comfortable with a certain, you know, level of inherent risk because yeah. you will be out there in the sticks alone or maybe with somebody. But it's one of those events that it takes your your personal fortitude and grit up a couple notches. A little bit of survival aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've seen on the, on the back end of the route, you know, where you're like out by around mile 120, 130, 140. Yeah. I have seen more bears than I've seen people, humans. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So the hammer is July 21st. People should sign up and do it. There's like 15 people signed up to do it right now. 15 crazy people. Most of them I, I know pretty well. Um, yeah, sign up. Ha- uh, hammerrace.com. Yeah, I will put a I'll put a link to it on the the show page. The uh, yeah, it's <clears throat> I will be looking into it for the future. I signed myself up for something pretty stupid the weekend before, so. Uh, yeah no it's uh i'll be looking no to, i'll be lucky to be walking by that weekend um <laughs> but but uh maybe next year it's it's on my list so i you probably yep. you might see me up there next year so roger that but um anything else me margie's margie's booked um yeah any notes you want to say about margie for this year coming up where to get out there The route's going to be, uh, I, I guess I'll share this, you know, if, if anybody listens to this far enough to get to this point in the talk. <laughs> um, so the, the route is going to be, for the most part, the same, because we've really found a mix that we like. But the important thing, and this is critical, and this could take, me, this could take us down a whole another hour of talking, but we'll avoid that. Yeah. But I want to share this. The, the last 15 miles... They're uh, they're going to change this year. That that segment that chunk of land is largely located on private property or property owned by a corporation. They've they've allowed us to utilize the trails and, and the property, you know, the first few years. They're going to continue to allow us to use it with a revision to the boundary um, on the southern end of their property. So. We need people. I know a lot of people like to come up and ride those, you know, the quote last 15 because it is the hardest 15 miles of the day or night, <laughs> actually night for most. Yeah. Um, but we got to stay off that piece of property. 
I'd say don't even do the last 15 because if you do it based off last year's GPX, it's not going to be right. It's going to be different this year. And there's a high probability at one point or, well, there is a 100% chance probability. You're going to be trespassing beyond the boundary that we are no longer supposed to go below. So just wait for race day. You're going to get to experience it all grueling 15 miles of it. Danny and I have talked and we assure everybody it will be as brutally sadistic this year as it has the first three years. Awesome. I, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say thank you. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, there, yeah. There was like that, that, that pause where I could tell you were like processing what I had just said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, we pay for it. So, um, no, yeah. I, I, I did see a note on that. So I, I figured it's a chance to bring that up again. So, um, yeah. I've thrown this out in a previous podcast with somebody else and that, you know, I would just say this in conjunction to what I just said about that property and staying off of it. There's limited land resources out there for trail organizations, trail enthusiasts across the country. Yep. And access to these resources continues to have pressure put on it. Just, you know, by osmosis, there's more pressure put onto this, these resources we have that we enjoy and that we truly need, um, I think, to keep our sanity as a, as a race. But um, our, probably our single most significant um, threat is people within our communities who don't respect um, land use agreements, private property and, and different things of that nature, people who can't coexist or don't want to coexist with other multi-users or you know, just other user groups in general. And man, I'm telling you, that's, that's a pretty selfish play to make. And you are risking when you do stuff like that, when you go build a rogue trail or if you modify a trail or think that you are fixing the trail, you are jeopardizing a lot for a lot of people. Yep. And you need to put yourself in check and maybe look in the mirror and get a better sense of how significant you are in the grand scope of the world because, you know, you clearly have a fairly overinflated ego if you feel like you can just go do whatever you want. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I get worried about, you know. Um, Great point. I, I, think for, I think for the most part, our biking community, the running community, um, Oh, hiking community, you know, these various communities, I, I think the majority of people in those communities are, are very good and they understand what's at risk. Yep. But every group has that 10% who seems hell bent yeah. on, you know, self-serving stuff. Yep. And uh, we need to, we need to be out in front of that 10%. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Uh, yep. Any, any other 906, uh, adventure type events coming up that you want to mention? Nope. Um, what I would say is, uh, you know, the closest or to sum it up with 906 and doing hard things and all that stuff, I'd say that, you know, the, the goal of our organization right now is to scale 
what we're doing across the UP. Um, it's going to, it's going to require support of partners and funding that we don't currently have. We're trying, we're trying to find the right mix of partners and make this happen to get out to people. And, uh, I am very willing to work with other organizations or people, regardless of where they are in the UP or otherwise, I'm actually, I've been working with somebody from Wisconsin and I semi-regularly take calls from just people in other areas of the Midwest. We're doing and they ask questions. Um, we'll share the blueprint. We'll share what we're doing and how we're doing it. You know, it's not like uh, closely held, super private intellectual property that we're going to try to keep all for ourselves. I want to see it. I want to see this blow up. I want to see this belief and philosophy and willingness to take the responsibility of being a coach and mentor. I want to see that propel itself forward. I want to see more adults get involved in it and uh, help us reach more kids, whether it's here in, in Michigan or, you know, Wisconsin, wherever it is. Yeah. I, so, you know, I think, they can, they can, they can reach out to me and I'll answer anything. What's the, so the, a couple notes on that. Well, one note on it, that could be an entirely new podcast and how to, how to, how to scale this across other disciplines, grow it and whatnot. But, um, uh, a few things, one, you can actually donate to the 906 adventure team. There is a link on the new website. Uh, new website looks, looks good by the way. Uh, nine Oh six, nine zero six, the numbers nine zero six and then adventure slash donate. But if you just go to, 906adventureteam.com uh, and I'll have links to it. There's a donate link at the top. Um, Todd, what's if, if somebody did want to reach out or, or whatnot, um, is there a, should they just hit contact on the, the 906 Adventure Team site? Yeah, yeah. If they do it, they could go through the website or even through the Facebook page and um, it all comes to me. Okay. So they, they have a direct conduit to me. Okay. I'll put, uh, I'll put links out there. So this was awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a, uh, again for doing this. Any, any other mentions, shout outs or anything you want to want to mention? Well, I want to thank you for, you know, doing this again. Um, you know, without people like yourself and other podcasters out there who do this stuff, I mean, we wouldn't be able to take a message from a, small corner of the upper peninsula of Michigan and try to get it out there to more people. Yeah. I appreciate my pleasure. Um, so, I mean, seriously, a big thanks to you. And I hope that what you're doing with your thing continues to, to grow and, you know, do whatever it is that you hope it does. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what your goal is, but whatever it is, I hope that you achieve it. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, the last shout out is to the eight other board members of the adventure team in all the work they do to the nearly 60 or 70 coaches that we have who will, who are, or will work with kids this year. Thank you for what you do to the hundreds of volunteers in the community who have become part of some of the most ridiculous events that I've ever experienced in the Margie and the polar roll. Um, you know, thank them for that. And lastly, to the people that are crazy enough to sign up and actually pay money to come up here and let us torture them. Thank you. 
for your time. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Yeah. And that's it. That's, that's a wrap. That's a wrap from Marquette County. Awesome. Cool. Thanks a lot, Todd. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I uh, hope you enjoyed the conversation. Hope you got something out of it. You know, we kind of talked around about a lot of stuff. So, uh, and then we, you know, decide to, to dub it, uh, doing the right things. So, um, I, because I think, I think they're doing a lot of the right things up there in Marquette County and with the 906 adventure team. Uh, like I said, I just, I think it's pretty cool what's going on up there. And, uh, that's why I, I kind of get geeked up on it and support it and get up there for those events. So, uh, check out what they're doing. Go to 906adventureteam.com if you want to donate to uh, the team and the club and all the stuff they're doing to help fund it. You can go to 906adventureteam.com slash donate. Thanks for tuning in. Later. <laughs>